Yeah, we. I I started with adventure bikes. My first four bikes were uh, I had a KLR 650, I had a BMW 800 GS, I had a BMW 1200 GS, and I bought. This was when the KTM 1190s just came out, and we bought an 1190R. Those are the first four bikes we had. Okay. And um, I was a dirt bike rider. I grew up riding and you know racing enduros down in the southeast, and so I, I lo- my love was dirt bikes, but I realized that's a lot harder business to take on than the adventure world so we started with adventure bikes and um uh, that's that's kind of how it grew from there coming to you from the heart of america this is the adventure motorcycle usa podcast on each episode we'll talk with industry insiders experienced adventure riders adv creators and moto fabricators With a passion for adventure and a penchant for two-wheel travel, we explore the stories of those behind the adventure motorcycle world. On the show today, we catch up with Scott Lee of Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. From a 1972 Honda Mini Trail 50 to a fleet of adventure bikes, Scott eats, drinks, and sleeps motorcycles. And from that lifelong love of all things with two wheels and an engine came Colorado Motorcycle Adventures, the premier adventure motorcycle rental and tour company in the Mountain West. Scott started CMA with the idea of offering superior motorcycles, unparalleled customer service, and most importantly, the opportunity for adventure to those who want to see and experience the United States in a way that only motorcycles can provide. We talk with Scott about how he took the leap from full-time advertising exec to CEO of Colorado Motorcycle Adventures, how Mount Vernon, Illinois may be the ADV and music capital of the world, and how Scott's favorite one-day advanced trail ride, the 717 Stinger, got its name. Stick around. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Hey, if you're like us, you're headlong into a summer of great adventure riding, and if you're riding the KTM 790, 890, 1290, or the Norton 901, Give the guys at Bulletproof Designs a call and get your bike protected. Bulletproof is an industry-leading manufacturer of billet aluminum off-road protection guards and accessories, and their hard parts are purpose-built to protect your motorcycle. Lightweight, simple to install, and made in the U.S., all the Bulletproof guards come with a lifetime warranty. Again, give them a call or check them out at BulletproofDesigns.com. Finally, If you're inclined to want to support this podcast, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen so you'll always get a notice when the latest episode drops. All right, guys. Enjoy this episode with Scott Lee of Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I'm your host, Matt McFadden, not joined today by my good friend and co-host, Terry T. Rel Terrell. He is off uh, probably doing something awesome today, but I uh, am excited to welcome Scott Lee of Colorado Motorcycle Adventures onto the show today. Scott, welcome to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. You know, um, you actually came up in uh, my last podcast with uh, Sterling Noreen and, and Eva Rupert, 
And uh, I, you know, they were like, well, who else are you, you thinking about having on the podcast? And I said, well, you know, I've been thinking about Scott Lee. I have a whole list of, of folks <laughs> and Sterling and, and Eva had a, a bunch of great things to say about you. And um, well, well, how, how do you, how do you, how do you know them? Well, I met uh, Sterling, gosh, many years ago through the BDR organization. Um, he does, you know, the video work for them and we've been a partner of BDR for many, many years. And then uh, Eva was at a fundraiser for the BDR in Death Valley, and I, we were at that fundraiser as well. And that's where I originally met her. And okay. then they got together, and so now, <laughs> now we. Oh, know so them. you met you met them before they got together. I did. Yeah, I knew them both okay. before they were uh, together. Yeah, they're great before people. Before they were the Adventure Motorcycle USA's power couple. Yes, great folks, great folks for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, before we get into Colorado Motorcycle Adventures and and everything that that is your organization, um, let, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, where did you grow up? I, you know, it's it's funny because I actually know the answer to this, uh, and it's a it's a it's a Honda Mini Trail Fifty. And if I had a dollar for every guest that started on a Honda Mini Trail Fifty, I'd probably uh, not be doing this podcast. But um, t- talk to me about how you got into to motorcycles and. and and where you grew up. Yeah, you know, I will. It's funny. My uh, my very first bike, obviously, was a Honda 72 Mini Trail 50. And it sits in the front lobby of our facility in Denver. And I can't tell you how many people have come in that have said, oh, that was my very first bike. And I get all the stories of how they grew up riding that bike, what color they had. I had a yellow one. I had a blue one. It's, uh, That's it's fantastic. It's one of the common themes of, of us in our, you know, mid-year life age that's how we all started and that's how we all grew up that on any sunday it's it's in everybody's story so absolutely yeah so anyway i was um my dad rode motorcycles a little bit and he bought me that mini trail 70 when i was seven years old so he had a Honda. Oh, i said mini trail 50 but it was a mini trail 70 right yeah no it was a mini trail 50 you're right oh 50 okay it, it was okay. a 50 yep he had a 175 honda and he bought me that 50 and uh, that's what got the addiction started at a very young age. I started riding, and we rode and rode and rode. My mom hated it. She hated every second of it. My dad loved it. I loved it. And uh, I think my mom eventually won out because I couldn't get anything bigger until I could afford to pay for it myself. So I told I told my mom, you know, when I graduate from college, the first thing I'm going to buy is a motorcycle. So just get ready. Obviously, I didn't have any money of my own until then. And, and sure enough, I graduated from college. The first thing I bought was a Suzuki DR250. And uh, she she was, uh, she was hated every second of it. And so from then on, I've been riding, uh, you know, as an adult. I raced Enduros for quite a while. And then, you know, as you get older, you kind of lean into the adventure thing because you, you can't break bones like you did when you were 20 anymore. And uh, right. so that's that's how it all started. Yep. But, but you didn't grow up on the race circuit. You didn't grow up out west. Uh, no. You're, you're a Midwesterner, right? Yep. I grew, I grew up in a little town called Mount Vernon, Illinois, which is, if you look at a map, it's straight east of St. Louis in the middle of Illinois, surrounded by cornfields. So my childhood consisted of uh, dodging farmers on my Mini Trail 50 who were chasing us because we had trails all through their cornfields. And so that's how I grew up. There, there, nobody raced. There was no races around us. We just rode around fields and cornfields and wherever we could ride. 
did, did you ever visit the West or, or did, um, did you guys ever vacation out there? I, you know, I often talk to people who end up in, in Colorado or, or Wyoming or Idaho or California. Um, and you know, oftentimes they start in the, in the Midwest or back East and, uh, but they kind of have a wanderlust that draws them out to the mountains and, you know, everything that, that, you know, areas and in, in topographies like Colorado offer. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't as a kid, um, you know, I didn't come from a, much of a means, so we didn't do big family vacations and I never really visited the West until I was on my own. Okay. And, uh, I've always been an outdoor guy. I, I mean, I would come home from school, I would drop my book bag in the house and outside I would go and it, I would be out until the sunset and it was time to come in and take your bath for the night and go to bed. So I always loved the outside and, and outdoor activities. When I got on my own, um, I started skiing and so we come out West to go skiing and then, you know, we hit it in the summer and I realized, man, this place is no matter what you want to do, mountain biking, hiking, motorcycling, kayak, it's, it's phenomenal out here. So yeah, you come for the, come for the winter, stay for the summers, right? Oh, it's unbelievable. And you know, Colorado's the summers out here are kind of the hidden secret. Everybody comes to ski, but the best is the summer out here. So absolutely, we uh, that you're right. Once you come and you see it, it kind of gets in your blood, and it's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, I spent a lot of time on 70, and I know you went to uh, University of Kansas in Lawrence there, and yep. um, and so I'm sure you've burned up burned up I 70 between Colorado and and Kansas. Man, when I went to college out there at University of Kansas, one of my roommates was an avid skier, and I'd never skied in my life, so he taught me how to ski. And we would go at least four or five times while we're in college. We would get out of class on Friday afternoon, whatever time the latest person got out. We'd drive all night to Colorado, out 70. We would ski all day Saturday. We'd ski all day Sunday. And then we would drive all night back to Lawrence. And we'd be at class on Monday morning. On Monday morning, yeah. Yeah, many, many times. I went to college back east, but I went to law school at Washburn in Topeka. And so I made that run a bunch of times. and uh, it's awful. Yeah, I can remember going out after um, uh, it was uh, it was Thanksgiving before I was graduating in December, and I, w- I went out uh, Thanksgiving to Denver to try to because I was going to move out, out to Denver and work after after graduation, and I drove out there and there was an early season uh, dump in Aspen, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't I don't even remember how this happened because I don't even think there were cell phones existed at this point. I mean, it was like you know late nineties, right. but somehow I connected with the guys in Aspen. They're like, "Get out here! Like, forget the apartment search in Denver and, yeah. and keep going." And I remember I had put my skis on. Uh, I had like an eighty six Subaru wagon. I put my skis on top, and I was like, "Man, maybe if I get done early, I can go." You know, <laughs> and I just blew through, and uh, it all worked out in the end. That's a, a story for a different time, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- those are, those are some good stuff. So. Um, you, you're in advertising, your backgrounds, uh, in, in graphic design, you, mm-hmm. I think owned, owned an advertising agency at one point. Yep. Yep. At, at what point do you have kind of a flash and say, you know what, I want to, I want to transition from advertising and marketing and I want to make a living through motorcycles or specifically adventure motorcycles. Um, you know, how did, how did that come about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, it's kind of uh, it's crazy. <laughs> we may, we were living, my wife and I were living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had my own agency there. I had a lot of clients in uh, the Denver, Colorado spring area. So I was already kind of going back and forth a little bit. My wife got a really good job offer in, uh, Denver. And we had said the both of us, this is before we had kids. Hey, uh, 
if any other place we'd want to live beside Nashville, Denver was on that list. When she got the job offer, we said, man, let's go. So we sold our house. We moved out to Denver. I opened an office out there. And uh, of course, I started riding. I had bikes and um, I just realized, man, Colorado was unbelievable. There's so much great riding. There's so many places to ride. And back then, this was uh, early 2009, 2010, 11. Nobody was doing this. I mean, there was Eagle Rider. You could rent a Harley Davidson. Yep. Um, and you, they, I think they had a GS or two, but they had street tires and no protection, and they didn't want you taking them off the road. So I learned real quick, man, this place is Mecca. People have got to get out here and, and experience this. So I told my wife, I like, look, okay, I'm gonna buy, uh, I'm gonna buy Ford, Ford bikes, adventure bikes, and I'm gonna start this company for fun. You know, designing a company and a logo and a website and all that stuff was so easy for me. That's what I did, and marketing it. <clears throat> so I bought four bikes, kept them in my garage, set up this company, designed everything, launched it. The first year, we ran it out of my garage in my house. And um, because I had the agency, I didn't need to make any money off the company. So every time revenue came in, I just stuck it in the bank. And when I had enough money I, for another bike, I'd just go pay cash and buy another bike. And by the end of the first summer, I had doubled the number of motorcycles I had all paid for. Wow. Just because of the, num- the, of the amount of business. So then we moved out to our first place in Denver and it just, it just kept going up. And uh, I couldn't buy enough bikes to keep up with the demand. We started partnering with BDR. This was when BDR was real young. They were just starting sure. out. So yeah, we were kind of 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were growing together uh-huh. <laughs> and the adventure market of the motorcycling world was, was booming. And that was kind of the largest growing segment of the motorcycle industry. So all of us that started together at that time just really took off and it, it got so busy that I, you know, I finally just went down my ad agency and said, so long. I'm going to do this. Uh, that's all I'm going to do. And that's all we do. Now we've got a, a big facility in South Denver. We've got vans and trailers and a, a massive place full of bikes. And it's uh, it's all just kind of by default. <laughs> it wasn't really yeah. the plan. That, and, and did you have adventure bikes in, in mind from the start or did you start off uh, with something smaller? Yeah, we, I, I started with adventure bikes. My first four bikes were, uh, I had a KLR 650. I had a BMW 800 GS. I had a BMW 1200 GS and I bought, this is when the KTM 1190s just came out and we bought an 1190R. Those are the first four bikes we had. Okay. And, um, I was a dirt bike rider. I grew up riding and, you know, racing enduros down in the Southeast. And so I, I lo- my love was dirt bikes, but I realized that's a lot harder business to take on than the adventure world. So okay. we started with adventure bikes and, um, uh, that's, that's kind of how it grew from there. Yeah. And did you, did you start the company with the idea of they were, they were all going to be guided tours or did you start it from the other side where you were like, we're just going to be a, a rental company and somebody can come in and rent this thing for, you know, yeah, however long they want to take it. That's, that's, that's how it began. It was strictly rentals, Strict rental. just okay. rentals. I bought the bikes to rent because we did it out of our garage. When we got our first facility, um, we kept having people, and I would have friends from Nashville in those areas call me, hey, Scott, if I come out, will you take me for a ride? I don't know where to go, um, but I want to come ride the Rocky Mountains. And so we realized real quick, well, there's kind of a need for, you know, doing tours. People want to come out here and ride. They don't know where to go. They want people to take them. 
So we started doing a couple of tours a year and then, um, we had a big facility, so we had some room. So we started doing motorcycle storage for people who had second homes out here and they kept bikes out here. So we stored them for them or they were riding around the U S and they, they would end the season in Denver. They want to keep their bike here over the winter and then come back in the spring. So we started doing storage as well, but it started just, just straight rentals. Okay. And, and did you have a specific areas? I mean, did you have at that point, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back and date and, you know, how prevalent GPSs were at that time. I mean, yeah. were you able to, to give them GPS tracks or were you able to give them a, a paper map with a highlighted route or were you just like, Hey, have fun. go for it. <laughs> well, the rentals were mostly, you know, we just rented a bike. Now we knew, yeah. I knew areas to ride and I knew good places to go. And I would tell them we didn't really do a lot of GPS stuff then that was kind of still coming on. Sure. GDR really helped getting that that going. But I would tell them, like, here's a great, pl- great area to go ride and explore. There's tons of cool trails and dirt roads and all fun stuff out there. So it was a couple years in before we actually started doing um, GPS self-guided tours out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love how you started it out because, you know, I, I think every one of us, you know, day three or day four on an adventure ride, you know, you're on the bike or you're on the campfire and you, you know, you're, the wheel starts spinning. You're like, how do I make a living doing this? This is so much fun, right? Yeah. How, how, do, how do I get paid to do it? You know? Yep. And you, you kind of had the the foresight to be like, you know what, let's, let's just try this out and, and, you know, we'll do it out of the garage and we'll start small and, you know, yeah. we'll see where it goes. I, I, I always think like, you know, to do something like that, you just got to go like, go all in on a, you know, 50,000 square foot facility and have a hundred <laughs> bikes go in and, and then the legal mind starts coming out. I'm like, what would the insurance be on that? And, and, then, it, and then it's over. Right. And then I'm back to my day job. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, uh, it's fascinating how you were able to, to kind of ramp that up and, and keep the other income coming and, uh, you know, eventually get to a point where you wanted to just, you know, do it full time. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, people very very often misunderstand what this is like. You know, they think all I do is ride motorcycles or take people on motorcycle rides. And that's right. such a small percentage of what we do. Um, they have no idea. You know, it's very romantic from the outside. But yeah. get on the inside and see how the sausage is made. It's a lot of work. I mean, when you have 30 plus motorcycles, you're constantly changing tires and changing oil and swapping air filters and you know, fixing the turn signals and broken this or the broken that it's just, it's a lot of work. And we don't honestly get to ride a whole lot in the summer because we're working, helping other people ride. Sure. It's, it's it's not as glamorous on the outside as people think. Now, now granted we are working with motorcycles and we are helping people have rides. Right. Your worst day, you're still around a bunch of adventure bikes. That's right. That's right. It's still a great job. I'm not going to tell you that it's not, it really is fun. But all I do is not ride motorcycles and take people right. on rides. I wish that were true. Who who is your who is your typical customer? I mean, is this somebody that's you know kind of new to you know transitioning from the Harley world to the adventure world? Is this like a fly and ride season person, or you know, is this somebody that's like, hey, I want to go try out the eight ninety R or the BMW twelve fifty, and what a great way to take an extended test ride? Yeah, like, you know, who, no. Yeah, our 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 kind of average customer that we get the most of or is you know middle aged guy. Um, they've always wanted to come ride Colorado, but they don't know where to go. They don't live there. They don't have a bike here. Um, 
but they want to come and we provide pretty much everything they need. It's a, you know, fly and ride. We've got rental gear, bikes. We, we can send you on uh, a tour with tracks on your own. Um, that's, that's really the customer that we cater to the most. You know, uh, they come out for anywhere from four to 10 days on a ride. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our our main customer. But, but pretty experienced on, on adventure bikes. Yeah, I'd say intermediate riders, you know, yeah. definitely not experts. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys, you know, bring their own bike and they know where to go and, you know, they're going to rip it up. But not beginners. The terrain out here in Colorado is really not very beginner friendly. Right. So most of the guys have a bike at home. They have a little experience and they've, they've known about the Rocky Mountains and they just want to get out there and experience it. And a company like ours can help them do that. So that's kind yeah, of a little bit of a bucket list. Yeah. I mean, we, we haul, uh, we haul 10, actually 12 bikes most years. Uh, we have two spares out, out West in a, you know, 48 foot trailer and uh-huh. have a driver. And so I, I get it, man, the logistics of uh, trying to get your bike to where you want to start and all your gear and, and all that, it, it's not only logistically cumbersome but it's expensive yeah um yeah. and so I, I think that you know if you're on the east coast or overseas and you want to come do it i mean what a yeah. great what what a great thing you provide yeah you, um, you know most guys if they add up the cost of shipping their bike and or or i mean driving their bike out the time it takes and the cost you know you're almost better off just to fly and rent you know yeah and then you can yeah. just drop the bike off with us dirty and walk away you know and we no wear and tear on your bike. You can be home in two hours on a plane. It, it just most of the time makes more sense, honestly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, what percentage of your customers choose a, a self-guided adventure versus a, a, a guided one? Well, I mean, probably 75% do it on their own. Or self-guided. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and most of that is, you know, two guys, a group of four guys. Hey, I've got six guys. We ride somewhere every year. We do a few one-offs where guys will they'll be out for a business trip, and they've mm-hmm. got a, few, uh, a free day in the middle or at the end, and they'll go do it by themselves kind of a one-day ride. But yeah. mo- most guys are doing uh, a self-guided. Yeah, the guided tours, you know, they're, they're great. It's the easiest – most stress-free, safest way to do a tour because <laughs> we take care of everything. But because of that, it's the most expensive way. So right. it's just a little, you know, your your audience is narrowed down a little bit because of the cost factor. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and and do you provide panniers, luggage? Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. we rent everything. We build. We can build a bike up for whatever you want. Soft side, hard bags, top cases, tank bags, GPS drive bags. Riding gear, pretty much anything you need, we've got it all. All you need is an airline ticket and uh, just show up. Some gumption, huh? That's just right, and a sense of adventure. Come on, that's yeah. great. What? Uh, give us a sense of some of the um, you know rides that you may recommend to folks if they come out there and uh, you know grab one of your bikes. Yeah, so the most popular we've got a one day adventure ride, which is pretty popular. Like I said, for the guys that just have a free day. And it's good because in one day we can get you out and experience a little bit of the Colorado backcountry and the Pike National Forest, which is real close to Denver. You mm-hmm. feel like you're out in the middle of the mountains, but you're really not that far away from Denver. Then uh, the three we have a three-day adventure ride, self-guided, and it's our most dirt-intensive. So the guys that don't want much pavement, I mean, really, 
getting out of Denver and getting back in Denver is really all the pavement. The rest of it is all backcountry dirt, and it's it's a ton of fun. And then the BDRs are, you know, they're the most popular by by far. The Colorado yeah. one, we service the New Mexico one, which is a couple hours from us. The new Wyoming one's just a couple hours from us. Utah BDR is about four hours down the interstate from us. So we're right in a pocket of a lot of BDRs right around us. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to ride. Uh, I think I mentioned to you, we're going to ride the Wyoming uh, BDR in August. And I know you awesome. just got, got back from it. So yeah, just did it. Tell, last tell, week. Yeah. Last week, right? Yeah. Last week. That's awesome. We, uh, I want to, I want to hear about, it. we're going to fly into, um, I think Hayden, we're going to start in, in Colorado and spend a couple of days working our way to the start. And then I think awesome. we're going to end in Billings, uh, Montana yeah, on the back fun. end, spend a couple of days and do, I think nine or 10 days riding. Um, but let, let's hear about it. Uh, how you, was it? You know, it was it was really fun. Obviously, Wyoming's terrain is very different than Colorado's terrain. Uh, it's funny. Uh, one of my two my guides and I went and did it together, just scouting it out. There was there's a couple of days where man, you feel like you're out in the middle of absolute nowhere. I mean, I thought Idaho was remote. Holy right. cow! Some of this stuff is. I don't know where the closest town is. It was it was crazy, which I love that. You know, you it's big. Wyoming has massive views, just wide open. A little bit unlike Colorado. We've got the mountains, but they've yeah. got the big ranch land, big views and that kind of thing. Very remote. There was a couple of days, you know, we didn't we didn't pass anything. You didn't see anybody. No, until we left our hotel in the morning and we were on dirt and there was nothing until we got to our town that night. It was it was awesome. I remember doing the uh, uh, the Continental Divide uh, mm-hmm. coming down from from the Canadian border, and you we went through Atlantic City, and then yeah, I, you know that there's like that 200 and I don't know 20 mile stretch yeah. of nothing. Yeah, and I, I remember we were on KLR 650s at the time, and I remember being like, you know, and we were in Atlantic City, which doesn't have a gas station, right? And so you're like 40 miles to gas and then 40 miles back to land. And then like, so you're doing the math. It just doesn't add up. So, you know, we ended up finding somebody and buying gas off of them. And um, I think that's become a little cottage industry there. But I remember it was a, it was a long ride and, and we, we left late. And so we rode a lot of it in the dark and it yeah. was just, it was, it was awesome from the standpoint <laughs> of wild horses running around and everything. Right. But yeah. I remember, I remember looking a lot at that uh, fuel gauge going, man, I hope we make it. <laughs> there's actually in Atlantic city. Now there's a, um, a place called wild bills. It's a, okay. like a bed and breakfast and he's got a big tank of, um, he called oh, it he does. emergency gas. It was t- when we were there last week, it was $10 a gallon. So if you need it, he's got it, but it's not a gas station. You know, it's, you don't right. pump it yourself. But that was the that was one of the days from Alcova to uh, Atlantic City where, man, it's just it's almost a full day of just two track in the middle of nowhere. It was incredible. It was beautiful, but it was very remote. How long did how long did it take you guys to do it? <laughs> I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to say. I mean, we did the whole thing in three days, but okay. we you know we were we were moving. We were scouting it for a tour, so we're trying just to figure out some logistic things. We weren't really doing it to take in the scenery and the beauty and stop and take photos. We were booking it just to get through it because it's busy season for us. So we had to get back to the office. I don't have the luxury of taking a week or two off in the middle of the summer. So I I would not recommend doing it in three days for sure. You know, I would take your time, you know, do it a week. It, It deserves a week for sure. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at it. We've, we've done portions of BDRs, you know, over the years and, uh, but we've never just run one all the way through. Yeah. And so when, when we were looking at the mileage, I was like, I don't know either this terrain's really hard or we're going to blow through this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we're going to have to enjoy ourselves and you know, yeah, take, take in all the sights and scenery and it's, it, it, it'll be a welcome break to, to, to start setting up your tent before the sun goes down. Cause you right. have a, a light on my head and I'm going, ma'am, you know? yeah, it was yeah. seven wrong turns later. And you know, uh, we finally made camp, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty ride. The, the bottom part of it, it, it could be fast if you want it to be fast. When you get to the Northern section, it gets a little more challenging and technical and that doesn't go near as fast as the bottom right. the Southern half of it. We were trying to knock out two sections a day, at least two sections a day. So when it was fast, we were going fast you were just moving. to try to get the miles under, you know, just to get it done so we could just get through the thing. Yeah. And what were you riding? Uh, I was on a KTM 890R, Venture R. Yeah. Okay. My buddy was on. I just got one. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a fun bike. I, it's, um, you know, we've got all the bikes in the shop and I get to ride them all, obviously. They all have pros and cons. There's no perfect bike at all but that one's a pretty fun one it's pretty versatile it's a great to me it's a great bdr bike mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's got the range and it all the, all the weights is down low and you know, everything everybody's heard about it and yeah and, yeah. and riding it you really do feel it i mean it's it's a it's a lot of fun we went down for a couple of days down in arkansas a couple of weeks ago and and uh rode down there and did about 230 miles of dirt and awesome uh it, it was about all like all i could do for a day <laughs> that's a, um, that's a lot of dirt yeah yeah um so I always thought of you guys, frankly, as, as a BMW uh, shop. Yep, we right? do. And, and, I, mm-hmm. and I know, I know you're, you're like certified through through BMW Motorrad. Yep. Um, but but you, you know, going through your site in, in prep for this, I mean, you guys have have everything. I mean, T sevens and yep. and and GSs and and eight nineties and everything. Yeah, KLRs, right? Well, we don't have KLRs anymore. Okay. They, you know, we tried them at the beginning, but they're carbureted, and we have so much elevation change out here that they, they just didn't work. Not they don't do well. Yeah. It, it yeah. just, they don't run. <laughs> if you if you jet them down low, they don't run up high. If you jet them up high, they don't run down low. So logistically, they didn't work. But <clears throat> we've got, to, excuse me, uh, K- KTMs, Husqvarna, Yamahas, BMW. We're a destination Yamaha partner for them. We're a certified BMW Motorrad partner. Um, KTM doesn't really have a certification program, but we work directly with KTM and we've got a bunch of them in the fleet and they're all great bikes. I mean, they really are. They're all good at certain things and they're all bad at certain things. And um, we're not really particular on one brand or another. They're they're all right. good, good bikes. And you have the Norton 901 in. Yeah, we got a. I can't believe we got one this year. We tried to order some, and our KTM rep just said, "Yeah, good luck." But for, I found one at a dealer who hadn't had it sold, so I snagged it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, one of the guys we rode with down down in Arkansas had one, and I, the more I look at that bike, the more I like that bike. When it came out, I was like, I don't know <laughs> the styling and all this, and yeah. And then I got down there, and it's it's really growing on me. It's a good looking um, bike. I, I I honestly, I kind of like the looks of it better than my eight ninety. Um, you know what I was surprised when I looked at that, um, Scott, was how how um, wide and comfortable the stock seat is on that. It's a great seat, and you know KTM's not really known for making great seats. So I know they did a good one I on know. that one. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting bike. Um, 
So what is, what's your personal bike these days? Or do you have one? Or do you just rob from the shop and whatever you're feeling? Yeah, you know, I, I last year I bought an 890R for myself and I set it up. I'm tall. I'm six foot four. So okay. I put bar risers on it, put a tall seat, I put lower pegs. I set it up for me, you know, to ride. For the first eight years of doing this business, I was a businessman. So whatever bike was not rented was the bike I rode. And I just got tired of being stuck with the worst bike in the fleet because nobody would rent it. And that's what I got stuck riding on tours. So I, last year, I finally bought myself a bike and set it up for me. And I don't rent it. It's mine. It stays in my garage in my house. So I've got that. Yeah. And then I've got a 300 uh, two-stroke TPI Husqvarna. And then I've got a KTM 500 EXCF. And uh, those three things will tackle pretty much anything out here. Anything you want to do. Yeah. And I love yeah, the GS. The big GS is a, is an awesome bike. It's super comfortable, very refined. I'd love to have one of those, but gosh, they're so you know they're. I can't have four bikes. I know. I, well, you can, but yeah, yeah, it starts to get it starts to get uneconomical. Yeah. I can't. The problem is I can't tell my wife no more shoes, and then me no more bikes. You know, so <laughs> I, if I'm going to hold a line with her, I got to draw the line for myself as well. And your wife Lori, right? Uh, yeah, works Lori. works with you on on the business. She well. does a little, yeah, she does a little bit. She's got a, another full-time job, but she'll come in and okay. help on busy weekends and some logistical stuff for us she'll take care of. Yeah. And she rides as well, right? Yeah, she's got her license. She's got a little uh, TTR125 dirt bike in the garage down there. She's had a couple of uh, – she's had a Vespa and she's had a little BMW 650 over the years. And Yeah, she. I think she would honestly prefer to ride on the back of mine than on her own. Uh-huh. But we've got a little a little boy and – you know, he's got a little CRF 70 and, and she realizes if she doesn't ride, she's going to get left out of a lot of family stuff. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, that that's fantastic. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the the um, I mean, these things go out for for three to five days. People are, are riding. I mean, this is not, you know, a, a people renting Harleys um, and, and riding them on the on the blacktop. Yep. How how rough are they when they come back, and what do you guys do to to turn those bikes? You know, because I assume you you want them out and rent it as much as as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, it's you know th- that's probably the toughest part of this business. When you make the decision to allow people to ride off road, you're also agreeing to take on a whole lot more headaches <laughs> on the business yeah. side of it. Um, and that's honestly one of the reasons why we like the big adventure bikes over the smaller dirt bikes. When you're on a $22,000 motorcycle that weighs 500 and something pounds, you're going to ride it a little smarter and a little more conservative than you would ride a $6,000, 200-pound dirt bike. Those yeah. people just ride like idiots you know, and crash them in trees, and then they just bring them back wadded up. Where a big GS, they realize, I, you know, I got to ride smarter. I'm going to get hurt, and this is going to yeah. be really expensive at the end if I don't. So it's just a, it's a balance of common sense is what I call it. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. charge for every little thing. I try to put myself in their shoes. You know, if I was one rented and dropped it and, you know, scratched something, would I feel like it's fair to have to pay for that or should it be considered normal wear and tear? So it's just, it's a balance we walk of, you know, trying to be sympathetic. We're all riders. We get it. We drop bikes. Everybody does. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if I didn't charge and fix some of the stuff, I'd have a big wad of nothingness at the end of the summer, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a balance. It's tough, you know? Yeah. 
how, how much aftermarket do you, you know, when you guys buy these bike stock, you know, how much aftermarket do you put on there? I mean, do you put skid plates on these things? Do you put, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, crash guards on them? And Yeah, we, we outfit them for off-road before they yeah. ever go out on rental. So they all get us, get, you know, skid plates, crash bars, hand guards. Um, all of our adventure bikes, we run 50-50 tires on. Because um, some people don't take them off the road. It's kind of like the American mm-hmm. SUV, you know made to go off-road but never goes off-road so right. some people rent you know gs's and 890s and they never take them off the pavement and that's okay yeah so 50 50 tires seems to work good in a lot of good paved roads in colorado there yeah, are <laughs> there yeah. sure are for sure yeah so yeah we, we set them up to, to go off-road from the beginning if they want to yeah yeah um I used to I used to guide um, snowmobiles out in Breckenridge uh-huh. after after college between college and law school and I I, I went out there and I just remember um, it, th- these were all guided tours uh, up to the Continental Divide and I just remember you know spring break and the, and the college kids would come out and you know we had this thing like yo yo and so somebody would always try to get to the back and, and fall way behind and then you know speed right speed up so they catch could get up. you know catch up and more speed and, yeah. I mean, I don't know, twice, three times a year, we'd have somebody, you know, sail one into a creek and, yeah. and wad, wad the thing up. And, you know, they had their parents' credit card as a deposit for the thing. <laughs> you know, you tell them it's like a, well, it's a $4,500, you know, charge on a new, yeah. know, it makes it an expensive spring break. But, yeah. but hopefully mo- most of your customers aren't, aren't college kids out there and they're uh, a little more uh, mature. Yeah, we you know because of what we do, and it's it's not a cheap sport. We we don't get a lot of young young kids coming to it, and honestly, young kids they're still riding dirt bikes. You know, they're not up in the big GSs quite yet. So right. it's it's mostly a more mature crowd, and which has a little more common sense about their riding. You know, and yeah. and keeping themselves safe. They don't want to fall because they get hurt. They got to go to work. You know, they have a family to feed. So it's uh, it's a little better that way. Yeah, my, my good buddy um, um, Bud Carmen, you know, he's like adventure riding. It's an old guy sport, man. You got to, <laughs> I mean, you, you got to have twenty grand to sink into a bike after it you is on it. Then you got to have the time to take off to go ride these things for you know a week or two at a time, and you know, yep. and you only get there in your your forties and fifties. And yep. uh, but I think that's I think that's what you know. It's it's drawing so much away from from guys that were getting Harleys, and you know, as as people are are you know, more, I guess, I don't know. I always see people these days, like more fit in their fifties, uh, than they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And so oh, sure. we want to get out and do stuff and have fun yeah. and, and sleep yep. on the ground. And, you know, um, Mark Sampson is, is 75, a big yeah. dog adventure. He's sleep, great. He's, yeah. Sleeping in a tent. He yeah. might be from Mount Vernon, Illinois, by the way. He is. He's from Mount Vernon. Yeah. I, I is he really? Well, it's funny. I met uh, Scott Stevenson, who has been on your show. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. owns a three-step hideaway because we go out there a lot and we send people out there. And we're doing an event out there in, in uh, October. Uh, so I knew Scott. And Scott kept telling me, oh, you got to meet Big Dog. You got to meet Big Dog. We've done all this stuff with Mark. And and I said, oh, well, where is he from? What does he do? Well, you probably never heard. He's in this little town in Illinois, southern Illinois. <laughs> I'm like, no kidding. That's where I'm from. And he's, he said, yeah, he's from Mount Vernon. Scott, that's where I grew up was Mount Vernon, Illinois. So the next time I went home to see my folks, I looked him up, called him, went over to his house. And we sat around for several hours just talking about bikes and rides and looking at his stuff. And it was awesome. He was, he's great. He, he is so, he is so fun uh, to talk to. And, and, you know, we had him on, uh, I don't know, maybe that was our second or third show. And um, 
know, he still sends me emails and is like, Hey, I listened to the last one. It was great. You know, you guys are doing a good job. It's fun. He's just such, he's a, he's a good fan, but he's just a good human being. You know, he, he is. I tried to ride Did Baja you? with him, but we didn't, the logistics didn't work out, but I was super excited because he loves going down there. Him and Scott both love Baja. Yeah. 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 Did you guys get into the music stuff? Because I know you're you're a musician. I know he's a musician as well. Did you guys? I didn't know he was a musician. No. What did he play? What instrument? I didn't know that. Guitar. No way. Yeah, he was in a he was in a band, and they played. um, I mean, they played some like county fairs and like opened up for, or maybe some state fairs and opened up for some some pretty big names. I can't remember who, but like if you go back and listen to that podcast, I end the podcast with uh, I made him send me a like a guitar. Uh, oh, I gotta go listen to him. Guitar, yeah, yeah. He was in—I forget the band, but he's like, yeah, they were regionally famous. Well. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I played when I was in high school. I played the drums. I still play the drums, but I play. I was a, a sophomore in high school playing in bands around Southern Illinois on the little circuit. There, we would play the beauty pageants for the different counties in Southern nice. Illinois, and I thought I was hot stuff. You know, sophomore playing in a band at a beauty pageant. So we probably played the same gigs that he played when he was probably young. that's probably who, who knew that mount vernon illinois was the hotbed for adventure <laughs> motorcycle and music <laughs> that's too funny <laughs> that is awesome uh, stuff. yeah um and, and speaking of scott stevenson you have a uh an adventure ride and rally out of three-step highway in october don't you yeah yeah we, we we've done a lot of stuff out there kind of privately or we'll send private groups out there but uh i love moab and you know there's so much great riding out there so I just called Scott this year and I said, hey, we've been doing this event in Bisbee, Arizona in the spring with Sterling and Eva for the past yeah, three years. Yeah, their place? Yeah, yeah, for the past three years to kind of kick off the riding season. We do it in early April. And uh, this year when we were down there, I was talking with Sterling and Eva. And I was like, man, we need to do this in Moab in the fall to kind of end the season because that's the best time to ride out there. And Scott Stevenson's got the best place. So, yeah, mid-October we're going to do a – uh, a rally out there for small bikes, dirt bikes, and big bikes, adventure bikes at the three-step. It's going to be all, we've got Evan and Owen, you know, is coming out to play. And, yeah. Uh, Eva's going to come do a big raffle and it, it's going to be awesome. Have a oh, lot that's of fantastic. Yeah. That's great. How many, how many slots are available for that? Well, we're probably, or is it filled up? Yeah, it's not filled up yet, but I haven't. We haven't really done much marketing on it. It's first year, so nobody really knows we're doing it until we do that. Yeah. We'll probably cap it at fifty. I, you know, mm-hmm. Scott's place is only it's the perfect really, number, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good number for his. They do all the cooking, so I don't want to overwhelm him and Julie with you know 150, 200 people. So yeah, we'll probably and it, we've got probably half the spots that are already sold and committed. So okay, yeah, it'll be fun. We'll have a good time. Yeah. He's another great human being. I uh, mean, Scott's when awesome. we had when we had him in the podcast, he's like, man, you know, the wind's blowing sideways up here. My satellite internet, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's he's got no connection up there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 rough. And so he came, uh, made a trip down down into town to to do the interview with us. Oh, just, did he? Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really really good good human being. He is. He's definitely salt of the earth. People really good. Yeah, and Julie too. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, tell me about some of your, your favorite rides, uh, locally. I mean, Colorado has so much out your back door from, you know, yeah. kind of great sand dunes down South and, you know, the, the big passes out, uh, further West of you guys. And, you know, I mean, it's just such great riding around there. T- 
Talk to us about some of your favorite rides. Yeah, you know, this uh, three-day adventure ride that we put I put together last year or two years ago. I don't remember how long it's been. So I kind of um, stitched together some of my favorite pieces that I've done somewhat close to the Denver area, you know, within a couple hours, and connected them all. And that's why it's mostly dirt. That's That's probably one of my favorite rides just because it's so much dirt and you get to ride – so many of my favorite little pieces, you know, this little piece here has got the best two track and this little piece has got the coolest views. And, um, there's a little bit of the BDR that's worked into it. I think there's like five mountain passes you get to do in those three days. Okay. It just, man, if you've only got a couple of days, it really is fantastic. That's probably one of my favorite local rides. Now, obviously yeah. the, the San Juans are spectacular, you know, the, yeah. Alpine loop down there is unbelievable. It's just on a whole nother level and nobody has right. anything like that, but Colorado. Yeah. Right. So that's yeah. always a lot of fun. And then we go to Moab a lot too. It's there's, there's great stuff for dirt bikes. There's great stuff for big bikes out there. Yeah. So, uh, the seven, one, seven stinger. The yeah. One day self-guided, uh, advanced ride that yeah. you guys have. Talk, talk a little bit about that. You know what? That's, uh, I live. What's the, how's, what's the name? Well, so I'm looking out my window right now at an area called Rampart Range, which is the okay. National Forest. I live right across the highway from it. Okay. So I ride my my 500 or my 300 out my driveway, take a ride on, on the highway, take a left quarter of a mile, and I'm on dirt in less than 10 minutes. And it's okay. this uh, single track to narrow four-wheeler trail. That's a big loop, about a 30 or 40 mile loop out here. So I can go do it after dinner. You know, I can eat dinner with my family. I can go out there and ride 30 miles and be back at night before bedtime. And I I do it all the time, but it's, it's got a lot of jumps and whoops and stuff. And every time at the end, my legs are just burning. So I told one of the guys in the shop, like, I'm going to create a ride out of this because it's so much fun, but I'm going to call it the stinger because my legs just sting and burn at the end of it. From all the jumps and the whoops, you know, standing up the whole yeah. time. So the loop is called the 717, and okay. the stinger just came from your from legs, your legs just fire at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That it's fun. Awesome. So that's how it came about. Yeah. And and uh, for most of your intermediate riders on your three or five day or self guided, you kind of have a light s- version, right? Where you can, where you get to some advanced parts if they're not you know, either feel capable or want to take a $20,000 rent a bike yeah. over them. They can kind of bypass these sections, right? Yeah, totally. On all of um, any of our rides, self-guided tours, we have bypasses around the more tougher technical sections. So that three-day ride I was telling you about, the mm-hmm. mountain passes that are you know, more technical and more difficult and there's more room for error that could be catastrophic. We've got bypasses around them for guys that just don't feel comfortable or you know, I don't want to risk it or I'm not that good of a writer and they want to kind of go around it. Yeah. We want everybody to be able to do it and have a good time and come back in the same shape that they left. So yeah. we, we try to make, you know, accommodations for every level. I remember I was taking a, a GS 1200 over on a gene from Telluride to Ure, and I laid it down the, the day before. And I remember my, my brakes feeling there's something off about them. And we started heading down, um, from the top we took pictures we started heading down and i was like i don't have a back brake <laughs> I, I had air i had air in my brakes okay? oh. air in my line and it was just it was awful uh yeah. get feathering it down that thing it was um 
I, I still remember that as like one of the scarier times, fully loaded GS twelve hundred. Yeah. And you know, we we ran into a guy and he was like. I don't know, on a 300 or something. And he's like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing out here? (laughs) It's funny. We're just just dumb enough, you know. You can really get in trouble out here if if you don't know what you're going. When I, not long after I started this company, I was taking a group, a private group out of of Army guys on a ride. And one day we were down in San Juan's. They decided they wanted to hike a 14er instead of ride. So I said, fine, you know, that's great. You guys go hike. I'll just go for a ride myself. And so I just started exploring around and I, you know, I hadn't been in Colorado that awful long and had, that's so far away from my house. I didn't ride it very often. So I started going up, coming up highway 550 and I saw a sign that said Black Bear Pass. I thought, cool, let's try it. I've never ridden that. So the side from 550 up is nothing. You know, I get to the top, I stop, it's beautiful. There's a couple old mining cabins that got off the bike, took some pictures. And then I started going down. And to tell you, right? Have you ridden Black Bear Pass? Yeah, yeah, I, we've ridden. Yeah, yeah, I was on a GS, fully loaded with you know everything, and I got to that steppy section, the little ledges. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm I'm a decent rider. My blood, you know, I start sweating, and I'm like, holy cow, you know, oh, get me off of this mountain in one piece, and I will never do anything stupid like this again. <laughs> and, right. You know, So for somebody like me that's been here and has ridden most of their life, you can get in trouble if you're not really know where you're going or what you're doing. Yeah. That was a scary moment. We did engineer uh, last year, and we all kind of agreed, like, that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, – adventure bike ride pass, <laughs> right like it, it it's it's tough enough to, to you know to make you feel like you earn the view at the top yep, yep but it's 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 not like you're you know you're you're thinking about um you know whether you had the life insurance paid before you left you know <laughs> right yep. yeah i mean some of those I, I remember i'm a gene going up and you look down you see those burned out you know jeeps down at the bottom there and you're like man it is a long way down there it is a long way down it sure is yeah, Terry and I got in. A, we got in a bunch of trouble on uh, on White Rim. Uh, oh yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, we were we were. I think uh, I I was on my GS. He was on a on an 1190. And I probably told the story before on this podcast. But you know, we usually go point to point, um, and so we're, we're always camping a different spot. But we right. decided to to camp in Moab and then do the White Rim loop. You know, mm-hmm. and then come back and stay. And so we dropped all of our our gears and we just started dividing up like air and and you know tire stuff and you know but we a couple guys uh we have spare bikes and so a couple guys grabbed went to the trailer grabbed 500s out and they took off on five and so now we're going different speeds and everything sure. and oh yeah and, and everybody's carrying different stuff well sure enough somebody gets a flat and the guy that's got all the tire stuff is long gone you know, long gone yeah and it was 104 it was august it was 104 and it Ooh. was we were going through water and um yeah, you know, uh, one of those rock crawlers came along, and he was able to kind of cut the air compressor. And I mean, he totally MacGyver did. He cut his windshield wiper fluid tube, and was able to like put the compressor. In, and we were able to get air in the tire. But I remember um, we weren't that far in, and uh, I was like, "Man, we don't have a ton of water. We got to watch this." And I remember at one point going, "Okay, if I take a sip every five miles, you know, <laughs> I should be okay." And I'd like wait. I wait. I was like, "Surely it's been five miles." I looked down at like one point two miles. I was like, oh, I can't. <laughs> Wallow. you know this is terrible but it, it was it was one of those points where i remember you know we had the spot 
Yeah. Um, you know, get out, get out of jail free thing. But I couldn't remember if I had paid the like $12, $80,000 rescue insurance. Right. Like, did, I was like, did I pay that or not? Did I get this thing? Or we, you know, we, we, we weren't that bad. We, we it never came to that, but I, I remember we got to the green river and I thought, yeah. I don't care what's in that thing. I'm going to drink it and I'll deal with the consequences later. That's right. It's like, as we're walking down to it, there's like a guy camping. He's got a whole bunch of water. He's like, what are you idiots doing out here? Oh, um, that's a serious, I mean, that's a long one without water. You can really get in trouble. Yeah. And, there, and there's just no shade, right? Cool. I mean, there's no shade. Well, we were waiting. Um, I mean, we were laying in in like a rock ledge that was casting like a two foot shadow of shade. Like yeah. we were laying like head head to toe. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it became a story and something you look back <laughs> on and all that stuff. But I, I probably not not one I'd probably probably repeat. Uh, I was um, riding five miles of hell last year with a buddy of mine on we were on our two strokes riding out there and he hit a rock and broke his foot. I mean, I, I didn't know it. I was in the front and I just heard him scream and I turned around. And he's like, I'm all right. But he ended up breaking his foot. So, you know, we're about halfway through and he's dying in pain, you know, and oh, no. if you've yeah. ridden five miles of hell, there's, there's two bailouts. There's, you're not getting a razor in there. I mean, your, yeah. your rescue is a helicopter from above with a line down. So we've, we we're doing what I called the button dance. Should we push the button? No. Right. Yes. Should we no. push the button? No. <laughs> Are we that point yet? Are you ready? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have not, I am not that good of a rider to go out and, and do that. Um, oh, bud, me um, my, my bud Carmen, uh, who rides with us is, is a, you know, much better rider. And, and he, he, they went out and they did out and back, uh, five miles of hell. So they, they did it. And then they turned around and came back and, and yeah. did it in reverse. And he's like, first of all, it's like eight miles, not five miles. Yeah, so right. anybody that tells me it's five miles is totally lying. Yeah. Uh, but then we also had Cole Kirkpatrick on and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Cole, Cole at one. Yeah. Cole, yeah. Northern house. Right. And Cole at one time had the, had the record with Russell Bobbitt on, on doing five miles of hell. 47 minutes, wasn't it? 47 minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And, Those guys are amazing. Yeah. After I talked to him, I was like, maybe we could do this. And I, I opened that video up and I got about four minutes in. I was like, there's no way. Yeah. It took it right. took us 47 minutes to get over the first hill out there. <laughs> it's it's no joke. I mean, what'd you ride that on? A 300? My 300, two stroke. Yeah. I, I got a Husqvarna TPI. It's it's an awesome bike. It's But it's, man, you're wishing you're on a trials bike out there. It's crazy. I know it, it watching, uh, you know, Bud always sends back videos and stuff, you know, wish you were here and it's, you know, somebody <laughs> going up this rock face on this thing. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's, it, it's amazing. Uh, a, what the bikes can do and, yeah. and, and be what you can convince yourself to go do. It's, it's just relentless. The tough part of that ride is it's relentless. It just, you come over a crazy hard obstacle and then there's another one right there. You know, it's like, there's no downtime. Give me three miles of a, road to recover before you hit me with another obstacle it's just constant so are are, are the the trail markings easy enough to see because when i watch that video i'm like i'd be lost every two minutes out here yeah they're pretty good i mean there was a couple are of times they? where we're like we'd have to stop and think is is it that way is it this way and eventually you'll see it you can make your way it's not it's not that difficult it's pretty good yeah that's great um you know, one thing I wanted to cover on this uh, was I, I've I've read enough about you and and know people who have come out and and rented bikes from you and you know you you are a, a genuine person and that obviously comes through in, in our discussions um, today. But but talk about your philosophy and and kind of bring in 
you know, I, I think you were on another podcast and you said, you know, we always say yes and then go figure out how to do it. <laughs> just, kind of, just kind of just bring in that, you know, um, that philosophy. And because, you know, it, it, I'm with you, man. Like if I if I owned it and bikes came back and they were dinged up, it, you know, it's it's hard to take that. You know, where, where do you draw the line? And I, I think you've just brought a really good, fun philosophy to the, the ownership of, of, you know, Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's a, that's a great question. I, I, I'm a positive person by nature. I'm just, I mean, I'm just positive. You know, I always think positive things and I always say, look, it, if we're in a tough situation, it does nobody any good to complain, to whine or to blame. Let's be solution oriented. You know, let's figure out how to get out of five miles of hell without dying. Or, you know, don't say how hot it is. Say, how can we get out of here? So I'm, I'm, I guess I bring that to the business. You know, it's a it's a fun business. We're in business to help people go have a great time. And so we have to just keep that mindset. Crashing a bike happens to all of us. Breaking parts happens to all of us. But I don't want to ruin somebody's trip if they come back and they have a $3,000 bill, you know? So it's yeah. a fine line to walk between like, I can't, I got to fix some of this because otherwise I'm going to have a heap of jump at the end of the year and I'm not going to get any money for it when I need to sell it, you know? Or it's not safe to send back out with somebody else or it's not legal to send back out on a ride. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to nickel and dime you for everything. You know, I'm, I'm not in this business to become wealthy. I don't think anybody in the motorcycle business that loves to ride is in it to become billionaires. You're not, you're not going to, we're in it because we love to ride. We love motorcycles. We love to help people have good times. And so that, that you just, we try to keep that philosophy type of mind is we have great jobs. We're doing what we love and we're helping people do what we love and what they love. So let's not ruin it by being nitpicky over a little scratch on this piece of plastic, you know, you can let it go. It's, it's not that big a deal. And yeah. even if it costs us $25 to replace it and we have to eat it, so be it. You know, they had a great time. They're going to go home having a great experience and great memories. And it's fine. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's fine. So yeah, you just have to keep that mindset. There's been a couple of rental companies in Denver that have been so nitpicky about that kind of stuff and we get their customers because they, they, it just turns them off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I just don't operate that way. And you're working with machines, machines break and you know, that can run somebody's vacation. I get it. And everybody that's with them's vacation. And mm -hmm. it's uh to me, it's, I'm a relationship guy. You know, if I have to refund you two hotel nights because your bike was down or whatever to keep things right and you feeling good, then we'll do it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's about, a relationship and about not the bottom line all the time, you know? So anyway, well, I, I would think that if somebody comes out and, and takes one of your, you know, three or five day rides and goes home, a, they're going to tell all their friends about it and, <laughs> yeah. and B they're going to be like, I just nibbled at Colorado. I need to go back out there and, yeah. and, do, and do that again. I assume you have a lot of repeat customers. Oh, we have tons. I mean, there's so much riding out here. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of riding. Yeah. And that, you know, that's what I love. I love people that come have a great time, go home with a good taste in their mouth and want to come back and ride yeah. more stuff and do, see new terrain. And that's, that's the best. Yeah.
Yeah, my father-in-law's a Harley guy. He can't fathom that we drop our bikes constantly. And he, <laughs> he calls he calls our, our group. He's like, you know, he, he, he's like, I feel like you guys are out like in a NASCAR race because you just tear those things up and then you come home and you, you know, buy all new stuff and put them back together and, he, you know, get, get ready for the next ride. And I was like, well, you know, yes. I bet, way it goes. I bet secretly somewhere in Harley Davidson, my name floats around as enemy number one. Because I, I can't tell you how many people come out and they're, they own Harleys. They've been Harley guys, but they see these BMW ads and the, these movies and they want to try it. They go out and they have an unbelievable time. They come back. That's the most fun I've ever had on a motorcycle in my entire life. They go home and sell their Harley and buy an adventure bike. I mean, that happens so often out here. Yeah. You know, I bet I'm sure Harley hates me and what we do because – well, it's why Har- it's a, why Harley came out with an adventure bike, right? Yeah, because they yeah. they you know they saw where it was all going. Yep, and yep. and I think I think just the you know the I've, I've been around it not that long, right? 12, 12 years or so. But when you think back about you know, I mean, there are there are guys that were back in the seventies riding you know these these BMWs, um, but the, you know the 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 adventure bike really wasn't around you know, until, I don't know, what, 2008, 2006, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe when, I don't know when uh, long way round came out, 2004 or six or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that, that that's it. where like that, that kicked the door wide open. And, sure. yeah, for sure. and then, and the, then to have the, the, the BDR, um, which is such a great organization, great. nonprofit and yeah. bringing people to the sport. And it's just, you know, now you got, um, you know, Sterling was saying they're going back to Oregon, uh, yeah. to do, to do and uh, the a real BDR because right the the first one wasn't started by right. them so they're gonna they're gonna the track that but I think you know eleven of them now yeah and you, and to watch I remember um you can relate to this as 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 a skier uh I used to watch you remember that movie Hot Dog the movie it, it was a skiing movie back in the eighties and as <laughs> I don't a remember kid that. I, like I never saw that. before yeah before we ever like before we ever it was a terrible movie right I mean it was like. <laughs> It was like a an animal house of ski movies. A ski. <laughs> yeah, it had every stereotype, and like you, if you w- went back and watched it today, you'd cringe probably. But <laughs> used to, I used to watch that because it used to get me so fired up to go skiing. Yeah, and I'm that same little kid. Like I'll sit down and watch, you know, BDR movies or yeah. you know now YouTube, and I just cycle through. And my wife's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm just getting all excited to go on this next trip or this next know. ride." Or, you know, that's awesome. It, it, it's so much fun. It brings out the little kid in me. And I think, I think that's why the Harley guys, I mean, th- those guys are adventurous guys, you know, and, and getting out there and doing that. And then once you introduce them to a little bit of dirt and yeah, you know, outdoors and being around the campfire, I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, what's not to like. And a lot of them probably rode dirt bikes as a kid, you know, yeah, got out of it. And then when they got back into it, it was the Harley thing. So they got Harleys. But then when they get back on dirt and on adventure bike, it brings back all those memories and smells and thoughts and, you know, of, of their childhood. And they just lock in like this is it, you know, I'm sure that yeah. comes to play as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Scott, um, you can be found at Colorado Motorcycle Adventures, plural, right? Dot yep. com. That's it. Yep. And uh, on the same on Facebook and, and Instagram, right? Yep. Yeah, that's it. At, at Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. Yep. Um, man, it has been a, a blast to talk to you. And, oh, good to talk with catch, you. Yeah, well. catch up and, and learn all about you. Um, I will put a, a link uh, on our website to Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. And um, 
include uh, some of your social stuff in there as well. Awesome. Thank and, you. Um, yeah. If you guys, uh, if you're a listener and and you want to get out, look up Scott Lee in Colorado and, and get out there and, and rent a bike. Well, thank you. It's, it'd be great. We'd love to have them for sure. All right. Well, Scott, thanks so much. Uh, and, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. For more information about this episode or to learn more about Adventure Motorcycle USA, please visit AdventureMotorcycleUSA.com. 